Welcome to Sticks and Taps, where the conversation is hockey and the keg is always cold. The games will be on soon, so let's step up to the bar, grab a pint, get into it. Your host, Paul Cuthbert and Liam McGuire. Slanta, fellas, and don't forget to pay your tabs. Uh, good day, everybody, and welcome back to Sticks and Taps weekly podcast. A bit of hockey history and Irish music. Raised on songs and stories, we are. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, live here in New York, New York City, Long Island. And let everybody say hello to me, friend, up in the great city of Ottawa in the great night, White North. <laughs> say too much, don't I, too? <laughs> Liam McGuire, how are you? Shut me up, buddy. I'm up all night, too. Yeah, the first part, right. How's she going, Polly? My goodness, thinking uh, of you guys in the state and the city with the... Uh, with the news of how things have spread down there in the last couple of weeks. So I sure as hell hope you're staying safe and all that you know and love are doing the same. We are, sir. We are. We're just, um, you know, doing what we can do. I mean, look, uh, everybody on the front lines has got it the worst. Uh, the governor was on here today in New York, and some of the, uh, you know, the, the cases are coming down a little bit. We're still losing a lot of life. Uh, the number that stood out to me today, um, he was comparing what happened on 9-11, you know, just uh, under 3,000 there we lost on 9-11. And since this has happened, I guess, you know, since they started reporting cases, over 7,000 New Yorkers have, have passed away from this. So that's a pretty that's unbelievable no- number. And uh, the other unfortunate number, two is uh, another six point some odd million people filed for unemployment, bringing the unemployment down here in uh, New York I mean, uh, in the country, I should say. Excuse me, uh, uh, you know, over 17 million. So that's uh, two unfortunate numbers. But we're trying to keep positive. Uh, What else can you do? You know, to everybody out there who's uh, lost anybody or is sick, get well. uh, So sorry for your losses and condolences and the rest of us here. All we can do is just, you know, stay the course and do our part, stay home and stay healthy. How about yourself, mate? Yeah, the same, brother. I mean, uh, just uh, I've got a roommate here. He, He moved in. Um, shortly before all this started, I think I may have mentioned that before. He's a longtime dear friend, Peter Oliver. He's actually still working. Um, he has a maintenance job at one of the community colleges, and there's still work for him there. I mean, a lot of obviously the non-essential staff have been sent home, but uh, and there's no school on per se. But uh, for at least the next short period of time, he still has some work to do. So he goes there. Uh, he's living here. Um, uh, my family, well, I can't see my mom. Uh, she's 89 with uh, uh, sheltered in with her with her companion there. He's 85 and they are literally, literally restricted to their room in their in their senior residence. I mean, every, I think anybody who unless you've been living under a rock, all you got to do is look um, uh, at the news and see how uh, sadly, especially in Canada, we've had a couple uh, the town of Bob Cajun in, in particular has been decimated. And even right here, not far from here, Polly, a town called Almont, Almont, Ontario. It actually was where James Naismith was from. The man who invented basketball was actually um, a resident, uh, a native of Almont originally before he went to the States. That town and a senior residence there has been decimated just in the last 24 to 36 hours. So, I mean, sadly, that's the age group, I think, that seems to be the most receptive to it. And with... um, given their age and maybe their, their already weakened condition, respiratory condition, maybe that's why. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to try and play one here on podcast. But uh, all I know, pal, is that um, I'm drowning everything in whiskey. 
and uh, and hammering the pints back. And I am in fantastic shape. I work out every day. I'm good to go. And uh, I, I'm absolutely just um, ready to take on the world. So, you know, we'll just uh, fight it off as best we can as a global populace and hope for better days ahead, which we know are coming. But I don't think they're coming anytime soon. No, they're not. Settle in. Speaking of doctors, do you drink the doctor at all? <laughs> what is that? Have you ever heard of Dr. McGillicuddy's? No, I haven't. Oh, buddy. Get yourself a bottle of that. Uh, it's an old uh, classic standard favorite here on Long Island. And I uh, used to drink quite a few of it in my old uh, <laughs> volunteer fire department days. <laughs> but uh, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a menthol uh, schnapps. And I tell you, buddy. Give it, a, give it a shot. Look it up, and if you can get it up there, just yeah. grab a bottle of it. Grab a small bottle of it. Get a taste of it, and I want you to come back and let me know what you think. Doctor well, I'll tell you. McGillicuddy's. I'll tell you the bo- – well, you know what? I'll take that. I will take that recommendation, especially coming from you. Dr. McGillicuddy's is what it's called? Yep. Okay, I, I guarantee it's not on our shelves up here. That's for sure. Right. I, I, I'm 99% certain. Now, there we have a couple of liquor stores in Ottawa that are a little bigger, have a little bit more inventory, so, so maybe – Maybe one of those, and uh, maybe I'll phone and see. But I, I, I've never even seen it. I'll tell you, you know yourself, I'm sure, that the the <laughs> the number of Irish whiskeys might rival how many wines come out of Italy. I, I mean, it's it's just amazing how many different whiskeys there are available. And you know, I, I remember when Tullamore Dew burst on the scene about nine, ten years ago. Oh yeah, and and they had that fantastic commercial. It was voted number one commercial in the world, and uh, like I I couldn't wait. I mean it. I just couldn't wait to try it. I remember my buddy Carmine Giambardino, Speaking of Italian guys, and we were in Ireland in 2011, and we were at a pub. We were there on a golf trip, and we were at a pub, probably our fourth or fifth night, and uh, we we sat down on a couple stools. There was a bottle of Tullamore there. And I said, we'll have that. And he said, a couple shots. I said, no, bring the bottle. <laughs> he just put it down in front of us. And I said, Carm, we're not leaving until <laughs> it's done. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just, there's so many great ones. But I'll file that one away, buddy. But I, I will maintain, and I look forward to trying it. At, but I will maintain. All right. So just he, so you know, it's produced in Canada and the U.S., all right? The, it's a, a Sazerac company is the name of the company, and it was acquired by Seagram. So the, there's okay. a chance you might get up there. Uh, All six, right, sixty All proof, right. sixty proof snaps, buddy. It'll get you where you want to go to. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, there's no no danger of that, right? I mean, there's I've got a I've got an old bottle of um, of moonshine upstairs in my room. Like if you this this was brewed in Prince Edward Island, the king of moonshine in a town called O'Leary, and I got it from a guy. I mean, that's a whole other story. This guy walked into the arena when he heard I was looking for shine, and this guy walked right off a movie set he was it was a dead of winter it was minus a billion out i'm in a little town in prince edward island way off on the east coast of canada and in a rink in a town that had maybe 300 people in it this guy comes in with old black zippered winter boots up not done up he was wearing jeans he had a great big thick jacket on no gloves no hat big burly man probably mid to late 60s probably going about 240 plus pounds, about 6'1", and he had a, a flower bag under his arm with, I could see the tip of the bottle sticking out from it, and he came through the lobby, and he came up because I was standing with a few of the people because I was there to shoot a video, and he said, uh, who's the guy looking for shine? 
And I said, oh, that'd be me. <laughs> Please don't kill me. <laughs> and he said, let's go, son. And I go, well, what, go where? What, what are we going to do? So he says upstairs. So we go upstairs and he, he takes it out of the bag and it's this, it's this old bo- bottle, no labels on it or nothing. You could tell this was like from a still, right? I mean, this is like right out of 1930s prohibition. And, and he pulls it out and he pulls the cork off it. And he and he gra- and he has these two two cups that are that are there, and he and he pours them in. And he says, "Look, I brought some uh, some Sprite or some Seven Up for you." And I said, "No, no, I'm drinking it straight." Oh. And he just looked at me, and went, "Okay, tough guy. Okay." <laughs> <laughs> so he poured me about two ounces, Polly, and I took a, I took a sip, eh? I took I didn't want to be a wimp, right? So I took a pretty good shot, and for the first second. Like it was nothing, you know, it just went down. And then it was like a nuclear explosion in my stomach. It was, it was like, it was like somebody had attached the electrodes inside my stomach and there was an explosion and I can't even really properly describe it. And it just charged up like a volcanic explosion, charged up my body, up my neck and up and just, I I just turned, I turned beet red probably. And it just came up like cascading red. And he said, um, would you like a little shot of mix now? And I said, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> you live and you learn, baby. <laughs> Some of us anyway, the hard way. <laughs> holy lifting. I didn't even mean to go down that rabbit hole, but uh, but uh, we'll, I'll remember McGillicuddy's and I'll take a look for it, pal, for sure. <laughs> hey, do you remember what color of pants he was wearing? Uh, he was wearing a, just a... Just a not a not a pair of jeans, but like a pair of pants that you would wear if you were going to a to a to a construction job, you know. And now, and the, the guy's hands, like I shook his hand, and his his hand was chiseled, and he was a big man, older guy. Like you could tell, this guy'd been around, done some things, and he wasn't gonna suffer fools gladly. Like he, I think he heard about me. Yeah, some hotshot hockey knowledge guy is coming in to help us shoot this video for Craft Hockey Day. That's why I was there. Okay. And I went on the ice and shot it. And, 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 you know, they ended up winning it. You know, I don't think I played hardly any role in it, I'm sure. But probably none. But the fact is, they asked me to do it. And I went to do it. And I knew this place was famous for its moonshine. So I said, well, let's see. I'll try that shine. There isn't anything I can't drink. And uh, <laughs> so I guess that word got back to him. And he went, okay, I could have could have show the gonna show the mid-canadian boy here just a little bit about life and rolled in with this thing anyway you know what Polly? they gave me a little bottle of it to take home and i brought it home and i got it upstairs and uh every now and then when i think if i run out of gas for my truck i can pour it in <laughs> <laughs> now look the reason i was asking you to because i have one more quick question before we get into it here um because you, you amaze me too when you tell your stories um the re- i don't care about his pants but i was just throwing it at you because have you ever have you ever painted or drawn? Because your your attention to detail when you when you uh, deliver a story is just like I mean you describe the guy walking in his height his weight his boots all that stuff just out of curiosity you ever ever taken anything to paint? No, no, I painted. You could ask the boys in the Manitick Arena back in the day that one summer when I was working for the township and they asked me to paint the dressing rooms. It was an absolute disaster. <laughs> I couldn't stay on a line to save my life. But if you mean descriptive type of painting in terms of drawing something or painting something, sort of what you see or envision or whatnot, no, no, I, 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 I couldn't do that to save my life. But, but I, I, I feel, I believe in my heart of hearts 
I, I believe this sincerely, Polly, that I have an innate ability to tell a story. I, I think there's something in my blood. I believe it's an Irish thing. I believe it's um, at some point because I've been so long in my life, it seems the majority of my life, it seems I've been the guy to regurgitate the story from the night before, you know, whether it was what happened in the brawl or what happened, you know, at the dance or what happened, whatever. Liam, tell us what happened. Okay, here's exactly how it went down. <laughs> I, would, I would tell the boys, and I, and then I just seem to be able to remember, and then I just I get excited telling the story. <laughs> That's great stuff, man. No, I love it. As do the rest of us. So look, mate. Um, we all know there's. We have no idea when anything's coming back as far as the game. There's reports here and there about that. Something came out about North Dakota. I don't know what they're talking about, but we all know nothing's coming back until we get some rapid tests and some vaccines and everything. So we're buckling in. So we're, what we're doing here at Sticks and Taps with you, Liam, obviously, and you during your uh, This Day in Hockey on your LinkedIn page and your YouTube page. Everybody's got to check that out as well. Um, but uh, we always love having you here, giving us a story uh, from NHL history or something like that. So uh, what do you got for us today, pal? Well, Paulie, we teed it up last week that, uh, and so I have to, I have to respect it now because I, I even said it, I think on Twitter once in the last seven days, I wanted to talk to you specifically about the New York Rangers and how they've been screwed over the years because of the circus. And, and I guess to a lot of Ranger fans, it's kind of a well-documented story. So I, I probably won't really be able to add a lot here, but I think it is point of, of note that, they were absolutely, unequivocally screwed, undoubtedly, in my mind, out of at least two, and make maybe make a case of a third Stanley Cup if you wanted to get really aggressive on it and go hardcore pro Rangers. But the fact is, is that, as you guys probably know, the old gardens. Now, see, if I say this to you, Paulie, you'll probably know, but I can't picture this. But if I say to you 8th Avenue between 49th and 50th Street in, in uh, between the 49th and 50th Street in, in New York, you may know exactly where that is. I don't. Right. Mm, yep. But that's the old Madison Square Garden. And that's when the Rangers, when they came into the NHL and they were first put together by Con Smythe. A lot of people may not know that. Again, these stories are available online, but just for the purpose of our podcast. So Con Smythe put the team together. And then he was he was summarily dismissed, you know, and and in in a feud with 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 Mr. Uh, Rickard, and he ended up going, and he said one day I'll get you back, and that's the whole story about the Leafs winning the cup in '32 against the Rangers and Con Smythe, and of course Lester Patrick came in, did a pretty good job because the Rangers won that Stanley Cup in 1928, and by the way, two days ago I think it was Polly was the anniversary of Lester Patrick going in net for the New York Rangers as a 44 year old general manager and coach. After Lauren Chabot got hurt, and there was no backup goalie, obviously, in those days, 1928, but there was a goaltender in the building. The Rangers wanted to use them, and the Montreal Maroons said no. They said no. And I want to point something else out, Paul. The Rangers won that cup in 1928, playing all five games in Montreal. Wow. All five games they had to play in Montreal. They won that game on Montreal Forum Ice. Now, they weren't playing the Canadians. They were playing the Montreal Maroons, the other NHL team in the, in the league from Montreal at that time. Think about that for a second. They, they, they beat the Maroons in their building three out of five times to win their first Stanley Cup in 1928. And then again in, in, in 32, when they lost to the Leafs, they played one home game in New York. And the rest of the games... 
they had to move to either Toronto, back to Toronto, or they started playing home games in Boston. And that's the way it was in 32 and 33. And even when they won their second Stanley Cup in 33, they, they had to do the same thing. And there was no more, in my opinion, and this is one where you can really make the case, and one that I want to just, just expand on just for a couple of minutes is 1950. I mean, you know, the Rangers, as we know, didn't win that cup between 1940 and 1994. Well, I'll tell you what, 1950, they beat the Montreal Canadiens four games to one in the semifinals. The Rangers finished fourth. In those days, first played fourth. That lasted until 1971, um, I believe, was the last year they, 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 did, they did that. And then they switched it to one, uh, two, three, and then one, four, uh, and then back to one, four. And they went to one, three for a bunch of years, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So in 1950, the Rangers beat the Montreal Canadiens. And this is the Habs. Now, they weren't, you know, this isn't the late 50s Habs, but they're still a damn good team with Rocket Richard, four years removed from scoring 50 goals. They had Bill Dern in the net who went to the Hall of Fame. I mean, plus a number of other good players. So the Rangers put a checker on Rocket Richard, and his name was Penty Lund. Have you ever heard of him, Polly? No, it's a great name, though. It is a great name. He's the second Finnish player ever in the NHL. Now, he was born in Finland, but he grew up in Canada, northern Ontario, uh, uh, I believe primarily, maybe Manitoba as well. And, and um, he came to pro hockey around 44, 45. His first team was the Bruins. He played a, a couple games for them. He played a playoff game for them, I think, the season before in 47, 48. The Rangers pick him up. Guess what, Paul? He won... The Calder Trophy is Rookie of the Year for the New York Rangers in 1949. In fact, the Rangers did something fairly unique. I think only been done seven or eight times in NHL history that year. The Rookie of the Year winner and the runner-up were from the same team. The New York Rangers had the winner in Penty Lund, and they had the runner-up in Alan Stanley, who was a very famous New York Ranger and obviously a very famous Toronto Maple Leaf in the 1960s. A hell of a, hell of a defenseman. So they had the one and two uh, winners and, and voting for the Calder Trophy. The next year, in 1950, they're playing the Montreal Canadiens in the first round, and they put Lund on the rocket. Not only did he shut him down in the five games, he outscored him five goals to one. Wow. Penty got a hat trick in one of the games. Then they go on to Detroit, and they have to play every single playoff game away from home, every single one. They didn't play one single game in New York. Just think about that, Pauly, what you don't have your home fans, especially, are you kidding me, New York fans? <laughs> you don't have them, or you well know you're one of them. You don't have, you don't have that fan base and, and, and at that time. It's, it's ridiculous when you think about it, but they got, they got disposed because of the circus every year. The yeah. circus came to town, punted the Rangers, they came in the exact same time every year at the conclusion of that first week of April. And if the Rangers were in the playoffs, they had to go elsewhere. They would play in Toronto. They would play in Boston. They played in 28 in Montreal. They played in Detroit in 1950. And they took the Detroit Red Wings to seven games. And in seventh game, they took that game to overtime. This is for the Stanley Cup. And in the first overtime period, Two New York Rangers named Dunk Fisher and Pat Egan had a two-on-one. And they got the shot away. Fisher took the shot. I believe Harry Lumley was the goaltender. And they beat him 
and it hit the post. And Lumley swiped the puck away, and the first overtime period ended, and the second overtime period. Keep in mind, next goal wins the Stanley Cup. This is the first time in NHL history that a Stanley Cup final went seven games and hit overtime. And not only did it go into overtime, it went into double overtime. Wow. And then in double overtime, Pete Babando, George G was taking the face off. And anybody who's listening to this ever played center, you probably did it, whether you're doing it in the schoolyard, whether you're doing it in peewee hockey, whether you did it in school or as a pro or in junior. At some point, if you played center, you had your winger move. You asked your winger to move. And George G had Pete Babando move about five feet to his right. And he won the draw clean, got it back to Babando, took a screenshot, and the puck went in at the 8-minute, 31-second mark in Detroit. And they won the Stanley Cup, beating the Rangers in seven games. And, and New York never got a home game. It's, it's, it's criminal almost. It's criminal. And had there been a Conn Smythe trophy that year, Penty Lund would have won it. He, he led all Rangers in, uh, in scoring. And uh, I, I, I think because he shut down the Rocket, I think he had 11 points, six goals, if I'm not mistaken, in the two rounds. Now, he ended up having a pretty serious injury a couple years later, derailed his career, his career, I should say. Um, he, he ended up going back to Boston, I think around 52, and he played uh, three or four more years of pro. That was it for him in the NHL. But he stayed, he's, he's, in the, he's, in the, he's in the Finnish Sports Hall of Fame, and he's in the, I believe he's in the Northern Ontario um, uh, Sports Hall of Fame as well. He's in a couple of Hall of Fames. Now, this guy was uh, was revered, revered in the communities where he grew up as a hockey guy. And he was a New York Ranger through and through, man, in the late 40s and early 50s. And they got absolutely ripped off. And, um, you know, the funny end of this story, Paulie, is this all changed pretty much by 1967. Well, the Rangers had gone five or six years without making the playoffs. And then they made the playoffs again in 67. And uh, and by then, they had built um, the the new surface that it was easier to move the, you know, the, uh, before they had to move so much dirt that it would take a day or a day and a half. So that's why they had to basically shut the arena down for hockey. But at that time, they had they had built a new rubber surface. And then the, allegedly, the story goes that the general manager of the circus told the Ranger organization, oh, well, we could have done this years ago, but you guys never made the playoffs. <laughs> 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 the bastard. <laughs> the bastard. Anyways, I don't know if that story's true or not, but that's one out there. But uh, I wanted to, you know, we touched on it last week, and I said I'd talk a little bit about it this week. And, yeah, they won the Cup in 28, 33, and 40, and 94, but uh, but they never, but they never, uh, they never, uh, I think they got ripped off on a couple of other years for sure. No no doubt in my mind at all, and especially 1950. And I know 50 had Gordie Howe and Ted Lindsay and Sid Abel and Red Kelly and, and, and obviously Harry Lumley and a lot of Hall of Famers themselves. But the Rangers, and they had a guy named Don Bones Rally. You want to talk about a guy, R-A-L-E-I-G-H. He scored back-to-back OT winners. Like, they had guys that were pulling rabbits out of their butt. There were guys scoring opportunistic goals. They had Penty Lund, who who pulled a Chris Contos or a John Drews playoff together. Some modern names for people that they may know. and uh, Or a Claude Lemieux with the Habs in 86. Like just, just guys who you did not expect stood up and did the unexpected. And the Rangers, I think, had they had regular home ice advantage in 1950, Pauly, I think they win that cup. Yeah, no, it's definitely been discussed here through the years, that that, that particular year. I mean, um, I don't remember the names like you do. I, I'm definitely looking up Penty. That's just a fantastic name and a great story. 
Um, you know, it's funny. It's just really the the technology. Obviously, the the, the circus coming in here, whether it was Ringling Brothers or I guess it had to be them back then. I have to look into it. Obviously, the the Big Apple Circus is, uh, has been around here for years. And but it's funny because the other thing too is obviously the technology wasn't there to you know. I mean, I know the guy was saying that later on they were able to do it. But uh, the other thing too is, I mean, what's amazing about today is I, w- I would imagine you, you didn't have the fan bases traveling. I mean, obviously traveling back then was no. different, you know. So like yeah. here today, I mean, you hear about meetups and you know you can watch any game. You know, I mean, if, 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 geez, if the Blackhawks are playing in Arizona or whatever, you're going to see tons of Blackhawk fans. And same thing, the Ranger fans are all over the place. Uh, it's always a big thing. There's always a good crowd. And back then, you, you just didn't have that. I, I imagine you just wouldn't have seen any Ranger fans getting into cars and, and driving to Detroit to, even even though it's the Stanley Cup final, it'll be uh, interesting to kind of even consider that at all. But that would be a big thing. But yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, what are you going to do? Those, um, the game itself, even the you know the overtime play you're talking there with uh, with the two guys coming in, yeah, um, Dunk Fisher and Pat Egan. Egan, yeah, um, you know it's just a game of inches. You know that as well too. Just so many, uh, oh yeah, incredible moments that could have went one way or the other. And then one thing about Penty and how you just talk about him too, and that's usually pretty much uh, in in any playoff series or any championship series. There's always that that one guy that has a backstory who makes an impact in a series beyond the mainline stars that are in there, whether they just, you know, uh, killed penalties or threw a guy off a game or something like that or or whatever it was and just uh, or, or ended up scoring these huge goals that, you know, who is this guy? You know, and it's, there's even stories about guys who came in maybe, uh, you know, whether it's a, a guy they call up because of an injury uh, during the playoffs or whatever or the fact that, um, you know, a last-minute trade or whatever and stuff. You know, I think about 94 and the – the effect that Tikkanen had in terms of the type of player he was on the Oilers, even before he came to the Rangers, obviously. Uh, you know, when you when you talk about like a guy like Penty and stuff, that particular type of player who was put on the other guy's star. And um, I, I don't know, there's probably, you know, I, I don't know if that really stands out too much today as it did, you know, um, prior to, say, you know, maybe the last 10, 15 years and, and – uh, you know, when I think of guys like, you know, Tekin and stuff like that who are just basically sent out there. Because uh, last thing I'll say on this, too, is, you know, you, you, you see Ovechkin there on the, on the power plays, right? It's the same tailor-made goal I know. every time. <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, or, or even, even down on 5-5 five and five play, it's the same thing. And you just don't see the shadowing anymore like they used to. And I don't know if that's where it really just where maybe you get your take on this, whether it's just the uh, – the balance of, of power throughout the the teams in terms of their strengths, not so much power, but the strength and the um, you know the the ability of so many different players to play multiple facets of the game, the two way game, um, so on and so forth. But um, no, nah, it's a, that's a great story, Penty and all that stuff, and those t- typical type players. What's what's your take on that in terms of that Tekin and Penty type player in the league these days? Well, I'll, I'll just answer that in two seconds. I just want to also say about that Ranger win in 1940, Paulie, just for clarification here, just so people know. Anybody listening who's a Ranger fan, they won the Cup that year, I know. But that series went six games. They played the first two games in New York. They played the next four in Toronto. Four straight in the playoffs in Toronto. So just just think about that for a second, you know. I mean, the circus was making the money. They had no choice. The Rangers were, you know, the second tenant. But I, I just find that whole story absolutely remarkable in terms of the um, <clears throat> this type of player today <clears throat> ah, there's still there's still room 
there's still room for, for, for these types of guys. You, you can look at the teams that win the Stanley Cup. I'll give you a guy's name uh, who I really liked on Los Angeles the two years they won, and actually most of his career, is, is uh, Dustin Brown. Yeah. I just, like, that guy, uh, man, I would have given anything to have him on my team because he's deceptively tough. Uh, he, he had great hands. I, I thought he just played a fantastic game of hockey at both ends of the ice, you know? And if, if he'd come back hard, and when he came back hard, he made guys pay the price physically, and then he'd go down, he had hands, and he could do something offensively with the puck still. Uh, obviously, he was, uh, you know, he, he was one of the leaders on the team, as we well know. But I just, I just think of him as a type of guy. You want to talk about a prototypical player outside of your God-given superstars, but you're going to need somebody to have to step up, right? I mean, Ryan O'Reilly took his game to another level last year with St. Louis. He did. And, and you know, you just, th- it, was, it was death by a thousand cuts after that. I mean, that whole roster just absolutely, you know, whether it be Maroon scoring against Dallas in game seven or, you know, you, you need the unsung heroes as well. But Ryan O'Reilly was a straw that stirred the drink. Dustin Brown to me, and you know, you look at Chicago and maybe their foot soldiers because kind guys kind of got lost maybe behind Taves and Kane. But at the end of the day, you look at a guy who played here in Ottawa for the '67s, Brian Bickle, and and the role he played on on Chicago. Um, I mean, there's just some guys, even a even a Brandon Sad. I mean, it's there's there's just so many guys that still that still can play a role, like yeah. the the Penty Luns of the world. They're still around, man. Mm-hmm. They're still around. And when teams win a Stanley Cup, and look, there's a lot of guys who just never get a shot, right? And and you just you just don't get that you just don't get that shot. And if you have that one shot, and and uh, maybe it doesn't work out for you, but uh, I, I think Penny Lund and the Rangers in that 1950 story to me, I know they didn't win, but I, I love the story, and I think the Rangers got ripped off, and I think those guys still exist in the game today. There's still a spot for them. Uh, the difference is today everybody's got to be able to skate. You know, the one-dimensional player's gone for sure. So I don't think you could parachute in, say, um, um, uh, a Bugsy Watson. You know, in the mid-60s, the Habs, he was bouncing around between Montreal and Detroit. He was a utility guy. What saved him was he could play defense and forward, kind of like Jimmy Roberts. There was a few guys back then who could do that. And that's why they survived. And, and they either played in finals or won cups because they were utility guys. But they really didn't have an overall abundance of skill. And I don't think that type of guy can exist today, but they played a role and they were effective on teams that either went to finals or won Stanley Cups. Today, you have to have a more uh, a more rounded player talent-wise. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But uh, oh, it's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. All pieces of the puzzle, man. You need them all if you want to get over Absolutely. the hump. There's no doubt about it. Great stuff. Penty Lund, my first time hearing him, and I'm going to look him up, man. Great stuff. And now I can go around my woes me. Rangers should have won in 1950. Uh <laughs> <laughs> at the pub. Oh, yeah, we could have yeah. had another one. <laughs> it's only 70 years ago. I Let's, know. Uh, make a T-shirt on it. There you go. <laughs> All right, buddy. It's time for us to do our uh, Ode to Irish Music Classics, as you do every week. You set up a story for us and a song. What are we going out with today, mate? Yeah, we're going to go out with I'm a Freeborn Man. And, and in, in fact, if you look at the, the official full title of the song, and it says of the, of the, of the traveling people, and and uh, it's sung by Liam Clancy, so it's my namesake. I'm a little bit partial to that. But I thought I'd step away from the rebellion stuff for a week, Polly. We'll oh, be nice. right back at her next week. <laughs> don't you worry. But 
this this song when I hear it, Polly, first of all, it reminds me of my father. It's written about, and I love the fact that you're going to play at least some of it here, hopefully, uh, with the introduction by Liam Clancy, because he talks about the people that it reminds him of. And just very quickly for the people out there. So um, the Travelers are actually an ethnic group, not only in the United Kingdom, but in other parts of the world, including the United States. But in it's definitely prevalent in Ireland. In fact, in the 2016 census, there was... 30,000 travelers registered registered in the Republic of Ireland. So they, they travel around, um, they, they make their living either, you know, they, they don't live off the land, they live on the land is basically the way to put it. They have their own language, they, they homeschool their children, they, um, they make, their, make their living in a number of different ways. Maybe some of it's a little nefarious, but at the end of the day, they... They, they can buy and sell and, and move items to that regard, and they, they move around. And Liam Clancy refers to it at the start of the song. And the last thing that I want to say about it is they're also known religiously and ferociously for their fistic ability. They grow up extremely tough. They're taught how to fight, the boys, the men, maybe the women today too, but the men especially, and the boys. And so much so... That some of the boxers who have made the Olympics from Ireland have been product of this society, if you will. They're called the Travelers. I'm a freeborn man of the traveling people. And it refers to, in Liam's case, he's referring to an era many, many decades ago. But the fact that they still exist today, I think, is pertinent. And it is a romantic time in, in, in reference to the Irish people. And when I hear it, I think of my dad, my late father, in the town of Kilcullen where he went every summer when he was one of six kids, and they couldn't wait to get those kids out of the house when the summer came, and they sent him to Kilcullen to the summer to live with his cousins, the Nugents, and he hung out in Blacker's Forest with his, with his dog, Roddy, and he hunted and he fished right on the River Liffey. And when I, when I hear this song, I think of my dad, because that time period and the, the scope of the land and the country and the people at that time, this is what it reminds me of. So I thought it would be a great song to do our toast today and go out with today, my friend. Sounds good. So why don't you say we raise a glass to your dad and for me as well, and I'm sure as you uh, equal this as well to everybody out there on the front lines there in the health care system, uh, first responders, uh, the military, everybody who's out there, everybody who's volunteering, the food banks, everybody else, keep it in there. Raise a glass for me there for you. What do you say there, Liam, yourself? Right there, brother. Right back at you. Yeah, uh, definitely. The people on the front line here, the world over, uh, handling these cases and are are sick and injured are the global heroes right now with a capital H. Every single one of them. Absolutely, 100%. So what we'll do, Liam, is we'll play this out and uh, we'll say goodbye to everybody today. And thanks so much for everybody for listening, sticks and taps, Slanta as well. And uh, Liam, say goodbye to the folks there for everyone as we play this song. I'm a freeborn man of the traveling people with uh, the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makem here live. Go on. Thanks, everybody, for listening. G'day. I remember I, oh, a long time ago when I was young. 50 years at least. There used to be great uh, bands of tinkers or gypsies would come through our place. And it always seemed to me the most romantic possible kind of a life. You know the (laughs) caravans. You know the caravans with the horses' heads painted on the side. And they all characters, 
leaning over the half door of it with a pipe and a clatter of dogs running along under, under the wagons. Fifteen or twenty piebald ponies behind, you know. A friend of ours wrote a song about it. The passing of the romantic age of the travelling people. It's called I'm a Freeborn Man of the Travelling People. I'm a freeborn man of the traveling people. Got no fixed abode with nomads, I have wandered. Country lanes and byways were always my ways. I never fancied being. And the small birds sang when winter days were over. Then we'd pack our load and be on the road. Those were good old days for a rover. There was open ground where a man could linger. For a week or two for time. Not our master. Then away you jog with your horse and dog, and nice and easy, no need to go faster. Now I've known life hard, and I've known it easy, and I've cursed the life when winter days were dawning. But I've laughed and sung 